Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 22 for February 24th, 2009. Today we're going to talk about storytelling, something that is near and dear to the heart of every organization out there. So whether you're a small local nonprofit or a sprawling national organization, effectively telling your story is a great way to keep your audience engaged to your mission, which will hopefully keep them volunteering, donating, and advocating. TechSoup and Intent just wrapped up a five-part webinar series on social media and storytelling, and we have a couple of the presenters on, on the show today to share their knowledge. Joining us from Reston, Virginia, is Danielle Brigida, the Associate Operations Coordinator at the National Wildlife Federation. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. Thanks for having me again, Chad. As it's always, always a pleasure. Yeah, I, I wonder how many times it's been now. You're going to hit 10 soon. Get, get you a watch. Also joining us for the first time, which I'm extremely excited about, is Amy Sample Ward, the global community builder for NetSquared. Welcome to the show, Amy. Woohoo! Yeah! That's the enthusiasm yeah. we like. That's right. <laughs> also coming to us from London, it's our third continent here on the podcast, so we're thrilled to have you. Back from BlackBot is Steve McLaughlin, the director of Internet Solutions. Hello, Steve. Hey, Chad. And Melody Mathis, with a newly pronounced last name, our public relations coordinator here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, let's um, go ahead and get into it. Like I said, today I wanted to talk about storytelling, and uh, I think I have a feeling we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about the tools. Both Amy and Danielle specialize in sort of that area, but I did want to take a step back and talk about storytelling in general. Some nonprofits have a, a lot going on, so obviously it can be difficult at times to get everything across in a clear way. I wanted to kind of start off the panel and asking you, how do nonprofits decide what story to tell? How do you sort of cut through the noise and decide... This is my message. This is what I need to get out there. So one thing that I think is a mistake or is kind of trepidatious for a lot of nonprofits when they first start thinking about using social media to tell their story is, okay, we're doing this program that you know convenes this group of people, it provides this service, whatever it does, and we want to use our social media storytelling as another way of kind of promoting that of telling the story of the fact that we're providing this or convening this or doing this project. When really the story that's there is from someone that's using that service or from a staff member that attended and, you know, worked with all those people in the community. So I think helping nonprofits understand that, you know, the way to really identify the story or how to tell it is, by identifying who really has the voice of that story and not just storytelling as a roundabout means of marketing. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have a bunch of stories. It's sort of like, again, finding that voice within the organization. Like you're saying, whether, is it a staff member? Is it a board member? Is, right. it, is it a field worker? Or is it actually someone receiving the help from the nonprofit, right? The receiver right, exactly. I definitely think it's a balancing act because as a nonprofit, you don't want to come off too preachy and you don't want to kind of push out people who actually have stories they want to share. So you've got to manage to balance it and make it so that you're sharing your story, but you also want to encourage other stories. And I mean, sometimes you are just broadcasting information, but a lot of times you're trying to like open up conversation. So Exactly. So- and part of that too is just achieved in the fact that, you know, storytelling is real. It's not always grammatically correct or super uh, polished. You know, having that more human, natural voice to the stories, even if it is coming from the communications director or if it is coming from a volunteer, just so that it is consistently real, even if it's from different people. 
you know? Yeah. And I mean, the best storytellers are the people that know their audience too. So. Exactly. Now, if you've got people sort of, uh, like you said, bringing up stories and building on what you've already put out there, this kind of gets into an issue I know a lot of nonprofits struggle with, which is the control of their message. So what sort of advice do you have to nonprofits who who are letting their community, letting their audience tell their story, not let sort of the bad stories get out? I mean, can you control that? What sort of some advice there? Well, I I would argue that they've never had control of (laughs) (laughs) their message and that people have always been saying whatever they want to say, but at least in social media, now they can hear what people are saying and they can be part of the conversation. I mean, that's kind of a a sub point to what your real question was. But I do think it's valid that organizations kind of start accepting the fact that they never had control. Yeah, yeah, Steve, you've blogged about that. The illusion of control. The illusion of control is the only control you have. But still, they always bring up that question. They always bring it up, I think, because nonprofits really do struggle. They spend so much time on crafting the message that goes along with the missions and the programs that they support. And this is why a lot of them struggle with Web 2.0, which is the whole notion of I allow people to have a two-way conversation. I want the benefits of that, but I am also very anxious about the potential side effects. But getting those authentic stories is really important. I mean, when we've ever seen people doing um, more of the peer-to-peer fundraising model, every single customer we've seen has much more success when they let the reins loose a little bit and they allow people to upload photos and tell their own stories, those always perform better than the the personal giving page that you can tell was crafted and finely tuned by right. a marketing department with a lawyer in tow. Right. Um, and but but you've got to tell that story twenty times uh-huh. to get people to go. Yeah, you're right. Um, right. Maybe we should try that. And is it always going mean- to be? clear like what that story is i mean uh, melanie you brought up a great example when we were talking earlier about joe the plumber but that you know really resonated with people around the country right so your question to me was like you know how do we help nonprofits find their joe the plumber story it's not about finding who you think should be the ideal storyteller it is getting back to the roots and letting the people that are the recipients of services or that are out on the front lines providing them are going to have the passion that no paid actor or spokesperson could ever have. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with Amy, too. I mean, the fact that um, that you've never had control and that for a lot of nonprofits, the time that they need to save, I mean, like, letting up some control is actually a great way to kind of give some work off of you. And, you know, point. I, think, I think that, like, NWF especially, sometimes we... We put too much work on, our, on ourselves and, you know, we've got these great activists who want to help out, who want to take make our jobs easier and we're not, like, letting them, you know. And I, I always go back to the example of, of Coca-Cola, how initially they were really trying to, like, own their brand and people kept calling it Coke and they used to get really angry about it and then they just kind of let it go and started having Coke commercials, you know, mm-hmm. because really you're nothing more than what your people say you are. So it's it's something to think about. And if your goal as a nonprofit is inclusion, which I don't know who would be exclusive, you know, we just want to have our board here, you know, to fundraise, um, then I think it's a great way to get people engaged, letting them participate. And that's a wonderful way is just sharing stories, the most basic form of communication. So. What kind of mistakes do people make? You know, I've seen a lot of success stories. We don't really talk about the other side of the coin. Is Are there some stumbling blocks that people are going to commonly run into or, or things they should watch out for when they're trying to get their message out in an illusion of control manner? To answer that, kind of taking off of Danielle's last point, I think that 
if organizations are, you know, willing to take that first step and say, okay, here's a couple champions that are like out there totally supporting us, talking about us, all that great stuff, but they make the mistake of trying to manage them, don't create more work. Just like Danielle <laughs> said, let them go work for you for free, you know? Don't try and manage them. Make sh- if if you are concerned or if there are some sort of issues or problems with, you know, messages kind of being incorrect or, you know, your mission being propagated in a way that is using the wrong terms or whatever, then that just means that you're not providing them with the content they need to support you well. You know, make a little page on your website that says, like, supporter toolkit and you know, here's some ready-to-copy-and-paste to messages that you can use, and here's a photo, and here's a logo, and then you can just point people to that page and say, go to town, right. you know? <laughs> do what you need to do instead of trying to search on Facebook for any mention and then say, oh, by the way, our mission is actually worded exactly like this. Just put the mission up, and then you know people can get it when they need it. Sure, that's a great idea. Well, I think cut back of- to Joe the Plumber, too, I mean... The guy wasn't a plumber, (laughs) first of all, and I don't think his name was Joe. So if you're going to put someone out there that's not really authentic, then that's a big mistake just from the get-go because you never want to have somebody false representing your mission. I mean, the repercussions are are many. I think one of the hurdles for for large organizations, too, is working with, you know, your Office of General Counsel or with your brand and figuring out a way t- so that it can be kind of flexible, but also friendly enough so that people can take it and make it their own. Uh, we had kind of an issue early on where someone had like a, a great activist had decided they were going to kind of adapt our logo. And, you know, instead Yikes. of talking to me, yeah, instead of talking to me and being like, look, this person's doing so it's dri- They're driving a lot of traffic. They are a huge supporter of our cause but they kind of made their own logo for this challenge they were doing. And instead of talking to me, they immediately went to that person and said, no, you can't do that. So this person has hurt feelings now. And so it's also getting all of your organization behind the concept that, hey, we shouldn't be you know, scolding people who, are, who have the right idea in mind but maybe aren't going about it the right way. Right. Um, right. Because, I mean, they were doing their job and no one can blame them and this person was just trying to be creative with something we gave them, which is what we ultimately want. Mm. It's just do it legally. But um, but it's one of those things where it's, it's about being more friendly with people who are maybe breaking the rules a little bit but have, have the right idea in mind. I don't know. And, and also working with older nonprofit members who don't know how to be creative with a message, I guess. I, it's, it's, it's a tough balance, but there's a lot of potential. Well, and I think you bring something up too that's not a, a big, not a big thing, but um, an important thing is that we all just need to remember that people are good. I mean, they are trying. They are trying to help you, even though they totally botched your mission. They were still creating a fundraising page for you. <laughs> you right. right. Stolen logo or not? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I think that sometimes we just get so down in the weeds with every day of what we're doing that we can jump, you know, to that, oh my God, they're totally messing this up instead of this is so awesome. We have these people out here doing this for us, you know? So just kind of keeping it in balance. 
Let's talk a little bit about the tools now. We kind of talked about storytelling as a whole. You both spoke on a lot of specific tools during your uh, the web seminar series. So I kind of wanted to get at, maybe we'll start with Danielle, uh, like just talk about a few of the tools that you've used at NWF that have really helped you get your story out. One of the tools that I have absolutely loved has been Twitter, just because it doesn't have to be a long communication with anyone, but you concepts and ideas in a very short period of time. And I talked about Ping FM, which is just, you know, a broadcast tool that kind of, if you're on Twitter and Identica and other microblogging tools, it kind of shouts to everyone from all your different audiences. And that's really nice. That has helped me a lot because I tried to have a presence for NWF on all the major microblogging tools and to kind of streamline and, and save time through ping.fm has been great. As long as I'm pulling in all the the responses back into my RSS reader, I can I can get everybody's response, but also just shorten the time I spent sending out messages. So now, when you, but when we're talking about like volume, though, I mean, um, we talk about like Twitter and Ping, and I know that reaches. You know, I use it a lot for Go Green Charleston, but it's still a very small subset of my audience. Do you really think that uh, Twitter have, have given you more gains than say like uh, your one of your blogs or uh, other vehicles to tell your story? No, no, it's just a different one. Yeah. Um, our blog's great, and we actually are starting to use Facebook again okay. a bit more. It's just Twitter I like because I, I tend to see like more feedback just because that's kind of what people are expected to do. Right, um, right. When I send something out on Facebook or even on the blog, a lot of times we don't get a lot of comments unless it's through Twitter or someone retweeting. So that's kind of why I like Twitter because you're getting verbal feedback. But as far as you know, traditional ROI, I tend to see it more with the blog. And right, okay. You know, Facebook and other larger audiences. So, what about you, Amy? Um, I noticed, like in your presentation, you sort of used yourself as an example. But are there any nonprofits out there that are, you know, really um, using a couple tools well to tell their story? Yeah, it's been interesting too. Looking at prior to moving, when I was in Portland, and the nonprofit sector over there, and the tools that people were using, um, and then moving over here to London in the fall, and Obviously, the nonprofit structure and all of that is, is very different over here than it is in the U.S., but the way that standard culture, you know, the tools that everyone else is using and the way that impacts nonprofits' adoption has been very different. Like Danielle talking about Twitter being really helpful, over here there's a lot of groups or a lot of nonprofits that are really interested in please tell me how I can start Twittering right now. I, I know I need to set up a Twitter account. Everyone is talking about it. Whereas back home in Portland, people kind of saw it more, maybe it was just because everyone there was using so many tools in Portland, but um, a lot of groups were saying, okay, please give me the list of all of the places I need to be on. But some groups that I think are doing really well, I think there's quite a few actually that are using Twitter well. What I find interesting about them is that they don't necessarily have, if you were to go to their website, they don't really have a super active blog and, you know, a Facebook page and all of that stuff that goes along with it. It's more like Twitter is, is the first part of the conversation that they're having, which a year ago when nonprofits weren't really using <laughs> Twitter, it, it's just interesting, I think. Um, but groups like the Women's Museum in Texas is doing doing really well. With Twitter, and then of course all of the big, awesome leaders like Danielle's group. Right. But <laughs> we can talk about else? NWF all day. <laughs> yeah. Yay. No, but yeah, you, no, you have done a great job with Twitter. I mean, even like um, you know, coming up with little programs, right? Like uh, like the wildlife tag, or maybe it's NWF tag, but just you know, spotting wildlife, right? 
And that's a great use of Twitter, um, a great way to get people you know, advocating for you and talking about wildlife from their own environment, right? Okay, what about some emerging tools that are, you know, we're all, I think we're all kind of used to using Twitter now, or at least the idea of it. Is there anything that really has been catching your eye lately that's going to, you know, help us in the near future? Like, um, I've spoken a couple of times on just sort of the emergence of sort of the broadcast channel with like Ustream TV and Stick'em and this ability to get, you know, a live sort of interactive environment hooked up with a message. Um, any other kind of tools like that that you guys have been seeing? I think that, you know, with Twitter and all of the, the standard blogging platforms and all of that, groups are really kind of, I mean, I'm not very quick to use this word, but mastering their acceptance or understanding of, of the blogging and microblogging tools. But I think what we're, what's going to be next is more of the understanding and using well of video because video is just so compelling. You know, I can type a super awesome 140 character tweet, but (laughs) even if I did, you know, a 12 second, the, the 12 second video platform, even if I did that, I could say the same sentence and I bet it would be more powerful. Right. right. Um, and so I think that a lot of the tools that are kind of emerging now are combining causes, are combining friends, and all of that corresponding non change the world goodness video. Another example, I think, of an org that uses um, video well is MSF, Doctors Without Borders. Okay. Um, they have a variety of formats. They have more of a newsy style. They have uh, a testimonial style that really brings you, the supporter, to the forefront of the war in Congo or wherever they're working. So, I mean, video is really powerful when it can kind of transcend that uh, border. Uh, also, they do just all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that I love is a photo slideshow. So anyone can really do that and right. tell a story through photos instead of just a blog. Using captions makes it a lot more powerful. And then they actually do microsites, too, where they kind of incorporate all those elements. One of the blogs there, Suddenly Sudan, it became so power, or so popular that the doctor's releasing a book in April. Oh, nice. Based on this blog. Right. And it, I mean, their blogs drive more content to their site than any other sure. marketing vehicles, which I'm sure a lot of nonprofits would echo that sentiment. But, I mean, they're doing a really amazing job. And then uh, Mark Pittman who is one of our speakers on the Blackboard Delivers event series as well as at our conferences all the time, the fundraising coach. He's been on the show before yes, and podcaster. He's a, he's a veteran <laughs> podcaster. Um, he definitely sent me a great example of a smaller nonprofit, the Boston Project Ministries. They're at uh, tbpm.org. And they have, a, they have staff blogs and um, newsletters. Newsletters are another great way to tell your story. Um, and it just shows that it doesn't have to be the largest high-tech orgs that use it. it can be someone as you know a smaller organization that just has different points of view right and that's what i was going to ask is you're talking about you know doctors uh, without borders and that's a huge organization using video and everything and sort of i think a lot of organizations are in a different different camp as far as like you know financially so but a lot of these tools are inexpensive like you know some of the streaming video tools like Ustream is are free um, a webcam is 40 bucks you know i uh, or a flip cam is only 100 bucks so and Flickr's free yeah it's a great way to kind right. of photos together around different I think because I think a lot of people hear video and they get uh, they get scared away Mm -hmm. I think the other thing with video is people who've done it before also 
get nervous because they know just how much production it can take to produce video at a certain quality level. Right. And I think the thing that people have to get over with with some of the the social media stuff is we're not doing the Godfather. We're not you yeah. know pan right and make sure you get the action yeah. right. <laughs> shot sort of stuff. That that people aren't as over the top about the quality as the overall you know the content of the message. And in fact, some of the stuff that's completely low quality. It makes for better content because it's it's yeah. more authentic, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just interviewed Clay Shirky, and I didn't bring in my team. He and I were just sitting on a couch, and I was holding the flip camera. Okay. And no one's gonna watch that interview that I posted with Clay Shirky and be and say, "Oh my God, this is shaking!" Yeah. And I could <laughs> totally tell this person is holding the camera. They're gonna say. Wow, did you just hear what Clay Shirky said? Let's talk about it. You could see the boom so, mic in that shot and what was up with the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of nonprofits, I mean, volunteering is not glamorous. It shouldn't be a movie. It should be the real deal, showing right. kind of, you know, what it's like to actually get in and do the hard work that a lot of these people do. Right. And a big part of that, you know, authenticity comes into play when you're talking about language as well. I think, Danielle, you mentioned a little bit of this in your seminar about not using market ease, when you're, especially when you're on Twitter and Dig, I think you were talking about specifically. Just to use common language and you know, talk like you talked with one of your friends, that's sort of how you should approach social media versus a very structured, you know, paragraph-oriented format, which would be more in tune for a press release or a website or something like that. Any other tips you have on like language and, and, and sort of tone that people can take when they're, when they're t- using this kind of content? One thing that NWF has done, just, you know, the video side of everything is um, we created an NWF blog YouTube account, and that is just for like our flip cams and, you know, quick, quick videos, and we have like our nice, nicer videos. So if nonprofits want to do that, I, I mean, I... I like that because, you know, it feels weird uploading a video that took you 30 seconds um, under the same YouTube account as some of the really, really nice ones. But um, that's, a good, that's good advice. Yeah. And, I mean, as for marketees, I think it's really great because we live in a time now where, especially online, the more real you are, the better. You know, we've all seen so many ads that we are sick of them. We ignore them just by, you know, instinct almost, which is funny. Um, but so I think... I think just be be completely transparent about what you're sharing, and if you're sharing tools, and if it, even if you're, as long as you're being correct in what you're saying, if it's a little bit marketies, that's fine, as long as your content backs you up. But mm-hmm. I think you know you want to be real. You don't want to sound like you're trying to sell someone something, especially nonprofits, because they have this real cause. I remember when blogging first became you know something we all needed to do, and they were telling her president that he needed to blog, you know, three, four times a day. And <laughs> when someone when someone told me that, I was like, no, because then he wouldn't be doing any work. Okay. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of understandable. And I, I don't think, I don't know. I just, I think we've got to remember we're nonprofits. We're trying to get our work done. If a flip cam makes sense, bring it. You know, if we're planting trees or if we're doing something, it, it just makes more sense. But other than that, you know. Don't fake it. <laughs> right. Now, if you're using this, like, you know, realistic, natural tone, is this going to make um, your content more shareable as far as, like, other people willing to share them? Um, that was sort of a topic I wanted to get on, too, just sort of about make, how do you make things go viral? How do you create buzz? Um, you know, if your content, again, is more natural and less market ease, are, are people more willing to share it? it? I think less. I mean, yeah, the more content, the better. Mm-hmm. I think people can... 
they might click on your link initially if you've got a great title, but if it doesn't have the content, people aren't going to share it. I mean, it kind of goes back to using StumbleUpon. We had one of our, like, water tips. It was just, like, a blank web page. It just had a list of tips, nothing pretty on it, nothing. And it went, I mean, a lot of people ended up looking at it, and we got a ton of traffic to it for no apparent reason um, other than it was just really good content. But, I mean, that just kind of goes back to you have to have the content. It can be the prettiest web page, but people will get bored. How have you changed kind of how, have you, if at all, changed your, how you're telling your story now, you know, in light of the economy? Has it changed your focus or increased your storytelling? Yes and no. One thing that we're doing, and it's actually going last, I think, later this week, but we're, we're pulling Twitter into one of our web pages, which is, which Ooh, is new and exciting. That's cool. We've been doing that wildlife watch thing where people... Whenever they see wildlife, they do hashtag NWF. And now we are finally creating like a page and it's, it's more user created content. We're kind of going more for engagement because we're finding that that drives donations. And, you know, we're actually getting behind the social media thing more because we want to see people who are creating content for us and sharing more. So I'd like to think that has something to do with, you know, the economy, me and the executive VP going, social media is great. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thumb in the air, but yeah. Well, that's great that you're actually pulling that in and putting it on your page. I mean, that's like... It's so pretty. Yeah, it's so well, it's a huge step forward, too, because you're, you're absolutely putting... I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, someone out there talking about you on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever, but it's a whole other thing to actually take that content without editing it and pulling it onto your own site. Right. And the cool thing is, the way Wildwatch works is you, you record it by state, and we can actually specify what state people are, are tweeting from. Hmm. We're, we're going to try and make it as specific as possible, which would be really neat. So, cool. One trend a, a little that I've been noticing as far as the, the change in the story that's being told by nonprofits because of the economic situation, at least over here in um, London, is more stories about partnerships and collaboration and, you know, kind of that reassurance that, the nonprofits are still there and still doing their job, but they do need to tell the story that they're now collaborating with these two other nonprofits as a way of being able to pool resources and money and time in order to provide the service, which is which is interesting and, and good, I think. Well, <laughs> we're, we're switching um, our content management system soon. So oh, really? That in like five months or so. No. Um, yeah, so, I mean, right now I know we, we use it on the blog, we use the, the share this, which is, I mean, if you contact your blog platform, usually they have something, or, um, but, I mean, we use iPad, so they kind of put in a share this button um, right. for us, uh, and it works pretty well. Um, I, I use Shareaholic, I said that in the Create Buzz, but I love Shareaholic, okay. but that's just for personally. Right. <laughs> You know, put the tools there and let the people choose. You know, better to have more options than not any. All right. Well, now I will. If I want someone to do a specific action, there are like there are snippets of code usually on the social media site. Like if I want them to dig a certain blog post, I might actually put the dig button front and center if that's like my priority. That's your goal. Yeah. No, but no, I right. decide it. Yeah. Or if you want to drive them to your um, cause on Facebook or yes, yeah. Right. Right. So. If it's if there's a specific thing in mind, you know, definitely focus attention on that. Otherwise, share this is good just to making 
for making it easier. I will say it's a little difficult to like pre-populate the share of this. It's a little more technical. Gotcha. So if we're looking at the other side of storytelling and sort of getting a sense of what people are saying about your story, how much they're sharing, measuring their engagement, what are some of the tools you can use for listening to that? The first tool that I think everybody should have, whether you're a nonprofit or not, um, are just using Google Alerts and having alerts set up for you know the names of people in your organization that could be mentioned, like your executive director, your communications director, that kind of thing, um, but also the name of your organization, the name of your sector, the you know keywords for your community, and just start picking up um, where those conversations are happening around the web. Obviously, you know, if you are an AIDS awareness organization located in New York, it's going to take you a couple rounds of fine-tuning what searches you want Google to be sending you, because if you want every mention of New York or AIDS, you could not have the time in the day to read that many alerts. So, obviously, you'd want to just be doing the name of your organization, a specific phrase maybe that you guys use about a certain AIDS awareness education program or whatever, but to start just getting your feelers out there so that you don't have to be searching on Google every day, but Google will search itself and email you the results. Now, do you, um, do you use the email? Do you have it going into a, a reader, like via RSS, or do you actually get them in your email box? I have both, okay. depending on what they are, right. because there's some that I want to be alerted ASAP gotcha. about things that the organization is doing or being mentioned, um, and then other alerts I just subscribe via RSS. You know, things like just our name, you know, Net Squared is going to be mentioned right. fairly consistently. So that, but things for our challenges and people in the organization, I want to make sure that I'm aware of those mentions more quickly. Gotcha. What about other content that wouldn't be covered in uh, Google Alerts? I use TweetScan right. for all Twitter stuff. Okay. And, and that's like a Google Alert. You could have it as RSS or as an email. Okay. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the most powerful things that nonprofits can do immediately sure. is if they're on, not even if they're not on Twitter yet, at least set up a, a feed of mentions right? and plug it into your reader and monitor that because you can't get closer to your audience yeah. your supporters and it, than that. It's amazing having that kind of like view into what people are saying. I mean, anytime I show someone like, look, here's what I set up for Go Green in, in my reader and it talks about, you know, shows me everything that's coming in. They're just like, you know, jaw on the floor. They're just like, oh my God, you can actually do this? Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of people really need to know about that or whether or not they're uh, engaged in storytelling or not. It's, 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 I think, important to... And something that, that groups need to remember too is you don't have to have a blog on your website to comment on someone else's blog. If you get a Google alert where there's a great conversation happening and you are that AIDS awareness organization in New York and they're talking about um, a school's program that whatever, you want to jump into that conversation, you can. You can leave a comment. You don't have to say, I'm also a blogger and here's my URL. You know, you can still be part of that conversation, which I think um, makes the Google alerts and watching what's going on on the web a bit easier than it is just to monitor Twitter because it's harder to just take action and be part of that conversation if you're not also on the platform. Yeah, I think profits need to, you know, really take a look at how 
everything is connected within social media too. And a lot of nonprofits are like, oh, we want bloggers to, you know, to write about us. And it's like, well, you have to, you have to listen to them too, you know? <laughs> so right. it's, it's one of those things where if you are a good listener and if you pay attention to the conversations that have something to do with you, you could make a great friend to a blogger and, um, by listening to them and reading them and commenting for them, you know, and so it's, it's all connected. Right. Just be a good person. <laughs> I mean, if there's, if there's an organization that I know or, you know, a, a person at an organization um, that's commented on my blog before and then they say, oh, and by the way, we're also doing this, I'm, I know that because they're now in my email and I see in Gmail that they've commented on the blog before and, I'm at least going to open that email and read it opposed to, you know, the large number of just random kind of not spam, but not far from spam <laughs> emails that you can get when, when you start talking in this sector. All right. Sounds good. I think maybe now we should take a break and uh, talk to Melanie about the Blackbot news. Well, speaking of uh, storytelling, we recently put out our call for speakers for our upcoming Blackbog conferences for nonprofits. We have one in Ottawa, Ontario on May 13th through the 15th, and then in Charleston, South Carolina, November 15th through 18th. And Danielle, you were a speaker last year. You want to share a little bit about the experience? Oh, it was, it was great. Um, I got to present with Chad, and um, I'm really impressed by the Blackbod crowd and you know, they're, they're eager to learn and just the entire conference was really impressive. So I recommend it. Well, thank you. We really enjoy having <laughs> and you that's, here. And that's legit. They did not pay me to say that, <laughs> even though they should. Uh, yeah, we probably should. <laughs> and you took a train here. Which and you did take a train. I did. Cool I took points. an overnight train. I pay, I sent myself there. I would like you guys to know. So I members of NWF, I did not make you pay for yes. my, uh, for my trip there, but yeah. And we definitely um, encourage speakers to stay the entire event. It's a wonderful event, um, great networking opportunities, and you also get a complimentary registration, of course. So if you are interested in speaking, you can download an application at events.blackbaud.com. And then another event series we have underway is Blackbaud Delivers. Um, we have a couple coming up soon, one in New York focused on email marketing. And then if you can't make it to that, we have a web seminar on PCI and the credit card changes that will impact you. And so that's going to be on March 25th. So you can learn more about that in the events page at blackbaud.com. And we also recently announced just this week that we have achieved full payment card industry data security standard compliance. Woo! It's a big old <laughs> name, but it's PCI DSS. And so if you want to learn more about PCI, which you should if you're a nonprofit accepting payments, um, you can go to blackbaud.com slash PCI, and we have all kinds of resources to help you sort through the details. And then another event we have coming up is NetWits in San Francisco on March 4th. And we have a sold-out show there, and it should be a great crowd. And we have Steve and Chad speaking. Care to give us a preview of your sessions? Oh, I'm actually just uh, moderating a panel. I'm not actually technically speaking. I'm sure Steve can give a detailed uh, account of his presentation. But So, yeah, we're just going to be talking about just general um, social networking and uh, how organizations can use it to um, save money and just kind of open up a big discussion about that. Um, Steve? Uh... Uh, yeah, I'm doing a session called The Change of Nature of Online Fundraising talking about three big trends in online fundraising, primarily the use of multi-channel, 
the changing you know dynamics of dealing with different generations, boomers, Gen Y, Gen X, cool. and then also how um, how online giving and, and that whole total, total piece has changed so much over time. And also at the event, um, we'll have Jeff Patrick from Common Knowledge, a uh, pretty well-known consulting firm out in the San Francisco area, um, talking about their um, rapid donor cultivation process or process, depending on which end of the pond you're on. <laughs> so why don't we all do a panel at at Bob in Charleston? Ooh, maybe we should. <laughs> we, have a, we have Canada coming up here. We haven't uh, even set the... Uh... Speaker stuff for Come that. on, Amy. <laughs> Come over. You wanna... I'll come over wherever you guys want me. <laughs> All right. We'll work on that. Now, Amy, our European conference is the 12th and 13th of October. Good point. So if you're still going to be in London, we should talk or something. <laughs> but, but really, <laughs> when are you coming back? For real? <laughs> well, Max's, Max's program is one calendar year without breaks. So October to October. But I'll be at the NTC and at the NetSquared conference. So everybody should come to both. I'm going to NTC. Yeah, I'll be yes. at NTC. The N10 NTC is the end of April. and Yep. Yep, 26. Should be a, a very big, fun, cool event. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Melanie. Um, all right, before we wrap it up, uh, I'd like to go around the room and see if anybody's got anything uh, they'd like to plug. Obviously, I think we just plugged all of our stuff. Um, I don't really think I have anything else, except for I, I, I'm excited to speak with Corey about podcasting at NTC. I guess I didn't get into that, but uh, that'll be we've had a fun time planning that, so it'll just be a good time to actually work with the pod father. I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> so <coughs> um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, uh, Amy, w- what do you have uh, that the world needs to know about from NetSquared? I know you got a lot going on. Well, we just, we just launched yesterday, so we now have three open innovation challenges going on. We have the Partner Challenge with UC Berkeley's Human Rights Center. Um, doing mobile applications for human rights advocacy or um, awareness, everything. And we have Social Actions Partner Challenge for Change the Web. And we have N2Y4, mobile apps for uh, civil society. So three awesome challenges, all with real money to actually do your work. So people should check those out. Just go to netsquared.org, and they're all linked to from the homepage. Nice. And be sure to check out uh, Amy online at uh, twitter.com slash amyrsward and or amysampleward.org, which uh, I'm still a huge fan of your welcome page. I love that you use that instead of a a general about page. It's so awesome. Anyway, um, all right, Danielle, what do you guys have going on? Uh, Really, you know, we have National Wildlife Week coming up in March, and the site is actually not live yet, but it's going live at the end of this week. And I encourage everyone to check it out because it's going to be really neat. It's mostly for educators and people who, you know, can take some time and spend extra extra hours outside having a green hour. But really, um, that's about it, and that's in March. You know, it's an NWF tradition. We've been doing it for years. Shirley Temple did it. <laughs> Walt Disney. Nice. Um, you can look up the PSAs on our YouTube channel, but they're pretty pretty amazing, actually. Um, like the old Zorro. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he puts down his sword after making the Z and is like, and you should protect wildlife. And it's pretty fun. <laughs> How can you fight with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? You have to do what he says. That's I mean, nice. he's pretty awesome. Great. But yeah, that's about it. All right. Well, uh, definitely check out Danielle's work at uh, org and uh, obviously at twitter.com slash starfocus, where you're tearing it up with amazing tweets. Guys, I got a new background, and 
It's pretty oh. amazing. Spur Spur Consulting did it for me just for free, just to be sweet, and it's beautiful. So. Wonderful. <laughs> Danielle, what, yes. is your, what is your slideshow link too? Because you have some great presentations on on that site too. My slideshow link? Yeah. Um, it's just slideshare.net slash Danielle.brigida. So, if you want to check that out. Yeah, great great point, Melanie. There's definitely quite a collection brewing there. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Steve McLaughlin, Melanie Mathis, Danielle Brigida, and Amy Sample Ward. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbot.com slash webby things. If any of you listeners have feedback for us, um, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. Until next time, thanks for listening to the podcast. That's it, folks. <laughs> extra, 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 extra. Now, you refer to this as season three. Yeah. Did I hear that? <laughs> that was a way to kind of cover my paternity leave. For, for doing nothing for the past two months? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do a lot. I had to stop vlogging and stop talking. She's a little country girl now. She's not on the 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 beach. She's actually on a farm. (laughs) Yep, she got her own. See, that was always the thing. Because when we, I grew up on a farm, and if my parents were like, oh, well, we're going to take one of the dogs, and he's going to go live on a farm, it's like, yeah, this is a farm. Why does he have to leave? I I mean, he's going to the suburbs. He's going to the suburbs. (laughs) He's going into the big city. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. (laughs)